0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnyTime.com. Uh, we'd like to first of all, first and foremost invite everyone to join us, every woman at uh, 1601 Quentin Road in the BJX location. Destination will be on your right when you <laughs> arrive, if you arrive from the 17th. If you arrive from the other way, it will be obviously on your left. So, uh, <laughs> so, I have what you call—I don't know what—I don't know what the letter is, is for it—but um, I get very easily distracted. I don't know—is that ADD? Um, <coughs> I, I, I don't think I do, but who knows? Um, so yeah, sorry about that, whoever was—I hope I didn't call you out. So no, it's entertainment for us, so it's good. So um, <laughs> you as long as you don't say this has been your final destination, I am all good for anything with the GPS. So now. Okay, where were we? So, 1601, Quentin Road, every Thursday at 8 p.m. for women only. Okay, now let us... Uh, okay, l- this is really... I was unclear, and it was, uh, I guess it was my fault, I was unclear in the previous classes the th- this is the fifth class that we have in Emunah. The first four classes were all an introduction. Um, uh, so we didn't even begin to begin... To begin. That was just like the... Usually people have a five-minute introduction to a class. So this was a four-lecture introduction to the topic at hand. Now, so we did basically an introduction. And I really cut it short. But that was an introduction. Four classes of introduction. Now, this is the part two of the series that is How are we supposed to work on it? There's going to be a lot of different, like, mini-series within the Emuna topic, the Emuna and and, uh, Bidakon topic. So this part is... How do we get to the... This is really probably the most important part of it, is how do we work on it? Like, so now we know how important it is. We know how fundamental it is. We know that everything is from God. We know that everything that God does is from the best. So, like, how do we get to that point where we internalize it? So... The goal is, with Hashem's help, is that we're going to try to figure out a very systematic approach and how to work on yourself and how to work on your internal um, internalization, really, of, of the world around you and how you can be able to live your life of a life full of B'munah and And that will translate to a worry-free life, to a happy life, to a life full of blessing, and so on and so forth. So, the first step, step one, is that you know that there is God. You know that there is an Hashem. But, you have, we have to like really explain this factor because the stronger that you know that there is a God, that will correlate to your stronger the emunah and bitachon that you will have. And if you have, so it's sort of proportional. So the more that you believe, the more that you know, better word, better than believe, the more that you know that God exists, the more emunah and bitachon that you will have and the better life and the easier life that you would have. Now, the... When I first, you know, like, after my Mashiach series, which is what, like, my first, I guess, big series, I started thinking, like, big picture, like, like crazy scientist, big picture, like, what am I going to, you know, like, so what I did was, um, is I created a bunch of series, but they all actually follow up to where, you know, it's all basically one long series, so all my lectures... Um, a big part of them are actually connected to each other so for example that we gave uh, a series about 30 was well, no not about it was exactly 32 classes proving god it was called the divinity series then we followed with that we got to you know close up the Mashiach series but we followed with that with the 13 principles of faith both <laughs> of those classes are an introduction to actually Emunah. And Munah is actually introduction to the next series. I'm gonna tell you what it is. I'll tell you what it is. Yeah. No, I won't. Okay. I don't know. I'll think about it. Yeah, It's gonna be on prayer. Okay. It's gonna be on tefillah, on prayer. So, the, everything is really interconnected. It's really related. So the more that you remember on the previous classes, the more things are gonna start making sense. And as you see, you'll, we'll start be connecting things from the Divinity series. We're gonna start connecting things from the 13 Principles of Faith series. And things are gonna start coming together, and you're gonna see where it's all connected. And when you get into the, you know, the Prayer series, it, it, things are gonna be been, like you're gonna the the why I find them one of the most beautiful part in Judaism when all the dots start connecting, and you're like oh 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 you, no way this is awesome and then you start dancing and then the people in the white lab coats come but before that it's like really great it's really awesome so the goal is over here is to try to figure out the the big picture so we spent. 32 classes proving that there is a God. There's a reason for that. Because that is really the foundation of Emunah. You have to know that God exists. If you don't or if you're not sure, then the, the whole, your whole Emunah is on a, on a very weak and a faulty foundation. Now the, the problem is this is, and the Rambam asks this question, the Rambam in Sefer mitzvah. the first mitzvah is to know and believe that there is a God. But the question is, how can you command somebody to know or believe? Like, believe in this. Like How, how is that a command? The command is, do this. Do that, like, even you want to say, think a certain way, but to believe a certain way, that's internalizing it. And Rabbi Victor Miller also asks, you know, a similar question. And it says, how could God expect somebody to believe something if, let's say, they don't have the ability to believe? If they don't have the the capabilities to go and bring it to a level of belief? Answers Rabbi Victor Miller that throughout the creation of the world, since the beginning of the creation of the world the normal instinct of a human being was to believe that there is a creator. There is some sort of a deity. There's some sort of God. Now, this idea was corrupted, and it was corrupted by, you look at Christianity, you look at Islam, you look at basically, you know, the majority of the religions. Uh, it was the corru- the idea was corrupted, but the idea that there was existing a higher power always, always existed since the, since the beginning. And in fact, the whole idea that there was no higher power, the whole idea of atheism, that is something that Rabbi Victor Miller calls artificial. It's something that's new. There's not something that is, that is not something that is a normal instinctive process of a human being. It's the opposite. A human being is more prone to believe than not to believe. So, when somebody goes and thinks, how am I supposed to go and get emunah? How am I supposed to work on myself and believe in it? People think that's, that it's a process that you have to convince yourself. And answer is you don't have to convince yourself. It's instinct. It's inside each and every single one of us, the concept to believe. Yet what we have to do is sort of to bring it out. Uh, the, the, think of an idea, I don't know when the last time you were at a well was, but... Apparently, you know, when you read the Chumash, that's where you find your Shiduchim, so if you're still single, go to wells. Um, so when you go into a well, if you if the well is dry, then the fir- once you start, like, you know, digging out the water, then the water is going to start pouring out. Initially, it's going to be dry, but all you need to do is you need to, like, you know, get into the instincts of the well, and eventually it fill up with water. You have to dig a little bit and it'll fill up with water. The same concept with emunah. Emunah is inside. It's, sometimes the well is dry. Sometimes the heart is dry. There's no emunah. But the second you start digging in a little bit, the second that you start working on it, the second that you start learning about it, all of a sudden it's going gonna, it's gonna to start bubbling up with water and it's going to fill itself up. Now, the idea that we have to understand is what is the problem? What What is the... the Difficulties in learning about Emunah. Yeah? What about this generation that everybody is? Like. We'll speak about that. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know what you were about to say. I'm assuming, like, non believers? Yes. Oh, okay, so I was right. Okay, fine. Never jump to conclusions. Okay, so, um, the idea of a. the, the problems, the difficulties of Emunah is uh, something very interesting based on the Pasuk and Shmuel Aleph. Chapter 16, verse 7. It says, Ki adam yere That a person only sees, only believes what he sees. Only, uh, um, let's try to translate that a little better. A person only believes what he sees with his eyes. That's generally the concept of human beings. Very unfortunate. And there's a, the Gemara on Shabbat. Page 104 goes on and says, that it's a crazy Gemara. Really a crazy Gemara. You had children over there that were saying, you know, words of Torah since it wasn't said since the times of Yeshua Benun. And they were going through the letters of the alphabet, And when they got to the letters of Kuf Reishin, Kuf Reishin is the same, whoever here speaks or understands Hebrew, is the same letters for Shekel. Shekel, I really should have printed this out, and I apologize that I didn't. Uh, Shekel, the, the, the children ask, why is it that Shekel stands on one leg? Have you ever realized that? The shin, i trying to draw it with the ear, right? So you have the shin, it goes like this, right? It all stands on one point. That's the shin. Then you have uh, the kuf also stands on one, there's another leg that's hanging, but there's one leg that stands. And the reish also stands on one leg. So sheker stands on one leg. Why is that? Furthermore, they ask, how come emet, which is the opposite of sheker, sheker means falsehood, emet means truthful, how come emet stands on solid ground? aleph, think of it almost like an X, it stands on two on two legs. The mem also stands on a very solid foundation, and the tak also stands on two legs as well. So how come sheker, which is falsehood, stands on one point each letter, and emet stands on a very, very strong foundation? And the answer is that they gave, in the Gemara, is sheker is very easily, it, it's sort of like a spinning top. A spinning top, you spin a dreidel. Oh, thank you. Alright, here we go. Thank you. See, it's a good thing I came today. Whoever can see that. So, you see over here the, sh- the, sh- the shekel, the shin, and the kuf, and the rej stands on, a, on, one, on, one, uh, on one leg. The, uh, the emet stands over here. Beautiful, you even circled it. Uh, the emet stands on, each one has two legs. Each one has a strong foundation. Furthermore, Shekel goes and the letters are very close together. Kufle Shin. Letters are one after another. They're consistent. Well, not consistent. They're like really c- consecutive is the word I'm looking for. Emet, Aleph is the first letter. Mem is the middle letter. Top is the end letter. It literally spreads across the entire alphabet. So how come Shekel is all compiled, compiled together? Emet is spread throughout the entire alphabet. And the answer is, is that Shekel, while the top is spinning, while you're spinning the drill, it looks very nice, but eventually it's going to topple over. Falsehood, stands very briefly. Eventually it's going to topple over. If you ever try to bring out a lie, eventually it's going to fall apart. And when you think that you have to dig yourself in more to go into your further lie and further lie, you're just going to make it much worse in the end. Eventually all lies come out. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Shekha does not have anything to stand on. It has nothing. It only has one. It only has one, one foot. And that on the other hand, has a very strong foundation, because a met stand. You cannot shake a met down. It's something with a strong foundation. A met, but what's the difference in met and a shekel? shekel? is something that you see consecutively. You look at something very briefly, you'll probably see the falsehood of it. You date somebody very quickly, you'll come to certain conclusions, most likely it'll be falsehood. You don't know the other person, you don't know the depths of it, you'll come to, you know, the, your, your, Resolution of what you think that person is based on your own upbringing, based on your different psychological factors, and you'll come up most likely, unless you have experience in this thing, you'll come up to most likely to wrong wrong ideas or wrong conclusions. However, emmet Emmet, in order to get to emet, that stands on solid ground, you have to go through the entire alphabet. You have to go through the entire thing. When you search, then you will find the truth. If you're not searching, if you're looking at the superficial, you'll find the falsehood instantly. Falsehood's not going to stand. Emet is going to stand, but the way to get to emmet is you have to search for it. This is what the Gemara tells us. So, when we look at the world, it says it says, uh, you know, why is it that people look at rain as like, ugh, you know, like a nuisance. It's like, it's like, oh, I can't believe it's raining again. You know, my hair is going to get, well, not my hair, but people have hair, right? It's going to get frizzy. It's going to this. People with arthritis are already planning on it. They know when the rain's coming. They're whatever. Everybody knows, you know, like what's going on. Nobody likes it. Why don't people like rain? What's wrong? Rain is very, it's a baha. It's a blessing. Why don't people like him? So something very interesting. Says the Rabbi Vigdemilla that when we're children, we look at rain as a negative light. And in fact, in America, they sing a lullaby, rain, rain, go away, come again another day. And so when you get older, you still look, you don't sing, I mean, I hope, maybe, I don't know, depends on the picture, you know, I hope you don't sing this song to yourself, but generally you have the same mentality, they say, oh, rain, not good. Now, I find it very interesting, when you look at these non-Jewish children lullabies, it's terrible lessons all of them i never knew the the lyrics to this rain rain go away exact comment. but then what ha- what's the next lyric after that it's rain rain go away what was it the morning oh that well that sounds that sounds like a lawsuit waiting to happen <laughs> but um, I, the one that i read maybe it's two different versions um is rain rain go away come again another day um, and where is it oh yeah um, why and then the next daddy wants to play then the next one, rain, rain, go away, go again, another again, mommy wants to play, brother wants to play, sister wants to play, we all want to play. So basically, as a child, what we're teaching children is, oh, it's raining, it's good for the environment, no, but it's not good for us, because we want to play, and because we want to play, so then it's my own priority and prerogative, because against the entire environment, uh, it's like, no, we don't care, it's bad. Rain is bad because I need to have a good time, and the second that you mess up with my plans, I'm not happy anymore. And this is the concept that we raise ourselves as children and this stays with us. When we go outside, imagine the majority of us, anybody here a farmer? I don't You know? Okay. So, so have, you know, it's like, (laughs) it's like my Asian is you know, like, so um, they are able to plant on anything, right? You put cement, the tomatoes will grow out of that. Um, So, when you look at the the you know the concept as from a farmer's perspective, rain is a, it's like, oh, and the rain, it's good over here. But anybody else that's not a farmer, it's a terrible thing. Why? Because when you're a child, you think rain is bad, so as you get older, this is bad as well. When you're a child, this is fun, so as you get older, this is fun as well. Things stick with us as from the way that we were brought up as children. Now, when you look at a child, generally, children do not believe in death. Do not believe in death. And the interesting thing is that adults also don't believe in death. And you'll say, well, you know, you know, there are people, there are plenty of adults that, you know, think about death, they believe in death. How many adults that you, do you know, and I've, I've asked and I've spoken to this, how many adults do you know that they would think what happens, they, they picture not death, they picture themselves going up to heaven and getting judged by God. Like, okay, people are scared about death, so they write a will. Then they deal with, uh, you know, maybe life insurance, or they'll do certain things that they need to do. But how many people go and stop... I mean, there are people, but how many of them actually go and stop thinking, okay, I'm going to get judged by God for everything? Like, how many people go and think about that? You want, want to know why a majority don't? Because as children, we don't think about death. and We don't, you know... Again, it's a good thing. I'm not saying that's bad. You don't start telling your child about death. Um, and you no, know, then I'm gonna get the therapy bill. It's not gonna be good. Right? There is a reason for it, but as a child we think of the concept of death as like far off. Now we know that... in fact there's a there is a concept of death, but it doesn't belong to us. There's something that sticks with us as a as a child. Now Says Rabshimshim Pink is something very interesting. It says, what is the whole purpose of this childhood? What is the whole purpose of the infancy that we, that we have to deal with? If you think about it, Adam Marishon was not created as an infant. Adam Marishon was created as an adult. He went and he jumped from like zero to 20 instantly. I don't know, you know, like he became a full adult when he was created. So the question that is asked, and how come that we, when we are born, how come we're born as an infant? In fact, it looks even backwards because even animals when they're born, they don't have to go through a training period. I don't know if you've ever seen, you know, a giraffe being born. A giraffe is born or an elephant is born. They walk. They don't need diapers. Well, they all need diapers. But I'm saying they don't use diaper. They just walk. They know how to eat. They know how to do everything the second that they're, that they're born. Maybe they're not as strong as an adult. But generally speaking, they're, you know, it's ready-made. You know, this is a they're created ready-made. Why is it that human beings are created in a sense that we have to go through infancy and then it's you know you got to wake up every two hours, you got to eat this and then you got to go into you know you got to slowly teach them about Judaism. Imagine how nice it would be that a child you know is born and the second is born, you start teaching him Gemara. You know, the the woman starts learning how to of the of the kitchen right away. Right? That sounds for people who don't know what we're talking about probably sounds really oh whatever it is. Okay, so in any case, the when we stop and we, we start thinking who has a better understanding of Judaism a child or an adult who has a more truer truer understanding of Judaism so, adult will have a truer I so I'll tell you why I, think children I, think I speak about I'll tell you, I'll tell you. More innocent oh very good the, the level. The, it is a kindergarten level but the level maybe better yet the level of emunah of a child there's a level maybe that's why I should, I should have read you know, when I, I lot, right, when I spoke a lot, right? I spoke a lot about uh, Mashiach. So, you know, people listen to Mashiach. They're like, "Wow, it's crazy! It's going to come! It's going to be awesome! It's going to be crazy!" And we'd be so scared, you know, so on and so forth. I've spoken to my children about Mashiach, and let's say, like, go go. You should see the horror on their face. Like, what's going to happen? And you know, like, I, you know, my daughter was like was like preparing what she's going to wear when Mashiach comes. Like, so when I t- spoke about Mashiach over here, how many people were like, "What am I going to wear when Mashiach comes?" You know tides not... like what? What is it going to happen? You know, but yet a child thinks of it very different. When you teach a child to it's it goes in, it goes all the way in. It's like yeah, this is. They're not going to be like well, scientifically, this doesn't make sense. Oh, uh, and that's not that <laughs> wasn't okay. That wasn't meant that way. So uh, <laughs> the you know the the concept over here is is that we the more wiser and smarter that we think that we are the more problems we cause for us, at least for them, the simple level of belief in God. So, there is a benefit for us being created as a child to be able to understand what the true level of connection that we need to have, and then we work on it, and then obviously there's a lot of other factors that come into play as well. There was once a very, very amazing speaker, and one time he spoke to more of a secular crowd, And one person came up over to him afterwards and said, listen, he says, Rabbi, I looked and I understood and I appreciated everything that you said. He said, there was one word that I have no idea what that is and it threw me off. So the Rabbi says, what was the word that you didn't understand? So the guy says, what is Hashem? Like, what, what does that mean, that you know Hashem? So this person understood theoretically the entire lecture, but he didn't understand one word. But in fact, that one word is the main word. There's so many of us that we understand everything. We're so smart. Everybody is so smart. You know, I've had people tell me how smart they are. Right? They're so. I just know people are so smart. But yet, they're missing the very basic concept that there is a God, that there is a Hashem, there is someone overlooking everything. There's someone that loves you and cares about you. And that factor, if it's missing, then the whole thing crumbles. There's nothing else to 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 hold it. Now, when people go and people look at science and emuna. They think of it as a something that it conflicts. But really, when you think about it, nothing conflicts. If, let's say, you're a scientist, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. You're like very into science, you're, whatever it is, you're in the, in the advanced world of technology or medic, medicine, whatever it is. When you go into it, the more that you learn about this creation called Earth, The more that you should see the beauty of God, the more that you learn about a human body, the more that you learn about a human cell, the more that you learn about just any technology at all, you should come to a realization that there is a God that created everything. But yet, it tends to go not that way. And the reason is, Obsession Pinkus goes and explains it, is that the, the fallacy over here is scientific proof. What is scientific proof? Scientific proof means that I need to prove something in order to know it, or exist, or the power of it, or different things, of whatever it is, the factor that you're trying to prove. Now, when you go and you want to prove something, or you want to see something, so you look at a microscope, you look at a telescope, you look at different, different ideas, either to, to bring something from far away closer, or to expand something, to actually see something that's very small, that is invisible to the naked eye, so we use all this technology to see things that we normally cannot see. Now, what happens... From a scientific standpoint, this is how Reb Pinkas goes and explains it. Let's say you're looking for a certain fish. And this fish is a half a millimeter in, the, in, in in length. Very, very small fish. So you go, and you start in Antarctica, and then you go, and you go to the, you know, to the, from you, you go across all the seas, all seven seas. And you go to the Atlantic Pacific, you go to all the oceans, right? You go scuba diving in the Bahamas looking for it, and then you go into Antarctica. You're doing everything looking for it. And you're searching high and low, and you don't find it. And you come to the conclusion that this fish doesn't exist. Is that conclusion accurate? What do you think? Is it accurate? No. I see a lot of no's. Why not? Because it could be somewhere else. Oh, okay. It could be somewhere else. Or, ah, very good. Or, it's also possible that, let's say, you created a net that was. Too, yeah, the holes are too big. Two milliliters, whatever it is, the hole was a little bit too big. So you could search, and even if you search and you caught the fish, but the fish went right through the right through the holes. So when you go and you look for God, you look for something, and you don't see it, you come to the thought or the realization, the fake realization that God doesn't exist. But who said? Maybe the tools that you're looking for, the tools that you're utilizing, are faulty, are not good. So what does it mean? Does it, does it mean that it doesn't exist, or does it mean that you don't know where to look, or you don't know how to look? So. The problem with scientific proof is that it's incapable of seeing beyond its own limitations. If there's something that's limited by it, then it can't see behind it. If it can't see behind it and it doesn't know that it's limited, then it thinks it doesn't exist. So, when you go and... Let's, let's, let's use this example. A child. A child goes into the room. Whatever else children could, uh, could attest to this. You tell your child, go into the other room and bring me your shoes. The child comes in with 3.4 seconds later and says, it's not, doesn't exist. You know, it's not there. I searched the entire room. It's not, it's not there anymore. You know, I'm like, 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 that was like literally, like, I didn't even finish breathing my sentence out when you came back Right? How is that possible? And the child was like, no, I promise you it's not there. You know, like, it for sure doesn't exist in my room. Some, somebody must have destroyed it. That's the only logical explanation over here. Somebody must have come into the room at night, went and threw it out, and now it no longer exists over here. And then you go into your child with your to, to his room or her room and then you like pick up, you know, a piece of paper or a blanket and there's a shoes. I'd be like, Oh, I didn't look over there. I, I didn't realize it. That's a concept when you're dealing with people that go and search for God. I'd be like, God doesn't exist. I searched everywhere. I heard a YouTube video of 35 seconds. A guy looked very smart and he sounded English, so he must be very smart. He didn't have much teeth, but he whatever, he's smart. And he said that uh, you know, God doesn't exist. So God must not exist. And then you're like, "Well, what do we have here?" Oh, I didn't, I don't know. I don't really like there. I was a good point. You know, like I didn't so when we go and you start arguing with people that don't believe in God, how much research did you do what do you know about what you did did you are you just re, you know repeating what other people said or actually do you know what you're talking about so when you go and you look at the smallest tiniest creature and a small tiny ant that is more sophisticated than more than the most advanced computing processing unit ever created you have this tiny little thing and it, and it all came by chance it all came just like by accident and the more that you open your eyes and you look at the world, so you need really both of you here. You need the eyes of a child and you need the eyes of an adult. When you start looking at, at you know, through the world, all of a sudden things will start looking in a different a different manner. And if you don't start looking in your with op- your open eyes, then you're going to ha- come to very, very faulty conclusions. There was a very sad study that was done that, this was a study that was done on modern orthodox Jews. 10%. Of modern Orthodox Jews do not believe that God created the world. I'm not sure what they do that's Orthodox, but this—they do not. Ten percent. Do you understand that? Ten percent of modern Orthodox Jews do not believe that that, that God created the world. Twenty-four percent do not. I can send them to the study. Whoever wants after. Yeah, send no, this was actually a large study. I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I, I read the study quite a long time ago. I, maybe it was 4,000 people. No, reform, usually modern Orthodox, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. But I'm saying, yeah, there's some, I, again, people could only test based on what they identify, um, you know. <laughs> Generally, we can't go above, you know, and beyond. Be like, prove it to me that you're modern Orthodox. You know, like obviously, oh you're modern Orthodox. So here's your checkbox. You know, like, what do you believe? So uh, this is how accurate this is. I cannot tell you, but this is, you know, regardless. No, no, it's fine. It, regardless of how accurate, it is, there's always a truth to it. For example, there was once, uh, you know, you have like stories about the Baal Shem Tov, right? The Baal Shem Tov stories are like amazing. Anybody, you know, like. So he goes, and then he goes into the carriage, and the carriage starts flying, and he gives out present oh, it's a different story. Um, you know, he goes, and he goes into that carriage, and whatever it is, and he advances, go. there's so many miracles that happen with the Baal Shem Tov, and the Baba Saudi and then there's magic carpets, you know, Kabbalists that are riding, there's like crazy stories. Yeah, people will be like, well, I don't believe all those stories. All those stories, they're, they're, no, that doesn't make sense, not true. Is it true? Is it not true? Generally, it is true. Uh, again, I can't speak for all the stories. But one thing you know, is that you can tell this person, is that they say these stories about the Babasali, they say these stories about the Baal Tov, they say these stories about Sadiqim, they don't say these stories about you. right? So that says something already about where this, this person lies. So even though when you look at this study, it says something about this, you know, people that identify as modern Orthodox. Again, it's a huge popular... Again, I, I, regardless of how accurate it is, there is some truth in it. There is some truth in it. So 10%... Don't believe that God created the world. 24% don't believe that God oversees the world. That 24%? That's a crazy, that's a, that's, it's a quarter. That's a quarter of modern Orthodox Jews that they tested. Doesn't oversee, whatever it is. 27% do not believe that God loves them. I actually believe that. That one's actually, you know, people are very, you know, self-destructive. There's a, you know, nobody loves them. My parents hate me. Everyone hates me. My pastor you know, whatever. So that actually I believe. But everything else, I find it very difficult to believe. That God didn't create the world, but yet you consider yourself modern orthodox. God doesn't oversee the world, but yet you consider yourself modern orthodox. And this is not as so much as a shocker, but I very recently read that, uh, you know, there are quite a few reformer rabbis that are atheists. Go figure. I mean, it makes sense, but then, like, you're in the wrong profession. Uh, like, well, you're preaching something, I, I, I don't know. I, I can't even begin to, you know, to, to comprehend it. But the idea here over here is, is that when you look at the world as a child, and you, look and you bring that viewpoint as an adult also, you start seeing things in a, lot, in a, in a very, very wide, open-angle perspective. If you go in a very narrow angle and you think that you know everything, then you're going to come to very, very misrepresented data. Imagine you're walking with somebody and... Let's paint this picture a little bit, right? So this person has one of those hats that has a thing in the front and a thing in the back, right? It's an English thing. I don't know what it It got the ear flaps also, right? He carries with him a, you know, magnifying glass. The old, the, you know, the one, the one with the stick and the, you know, one of those things. Um, and you're walking over there. He's smoking a pipe and he's, you're walking over there and then suddenly he like freeze, stop. He goes to the ground, picks up a little nail, not like a nail from, like your nail, not like a nail that you, okay? So he picks it up. He looks at it, he smells it, maybe he tastes it, I don't know, he has his methods. And then he goes and he tells you something crazy. He says, I can tell you everything about who this nail be- belongs to, what this nail is, and everything that is associated with this nail. It comes from this animal, and it gives you a whole long list." Do you believe him? I'm running the other way. What? Well, running, running the other way is a good thing. But imagine, that's like a crazy thing to say, right? But imagine, this guy goes, picks up the nail, starts doing his little, you know, Methods that he goes and in investigating this nail, and then he tells you not only do I know where this nail comes from, who this nail belongs, what is it that it, that is, how old it is, every idea, but I could also tell you everything about the entire universe from this nail. Then you for sure call the people in the white lab coats, <laughs> right? You for sure like there's no, or you run the other way. It's either you know either people are running towards him or people are running away from him. That's general the consensus that's going out from this situation. Yet. This is exactly the same idea when somebody goes over to you and be like, well, I studied planet Earth, and I studied a little bit about outer space, so I know that God doesn't exist. You know how small Earth is compared to the entire universe? Who are you? You're like, you need a white lab coat. Like that's No, you're like, you know, there's mentally missing some screws. You know, I'm sorry if you're an atheist and you listen to this class. I don't know why, but if you are, um, then you need medical help. Like it makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. It's like the same concept of you going and saying, by finding a little piece of dirt and saying, I know everything about everything right now, because I found this thing right here. That's the same idea when you know so infinitesimally tiny about the universe that you claim you know everything about the universe and God doesn't exist. And there's no such thing as God, no such thing as religion. But yet you have even people that are orthodox Jews that believe that God didn't create the world. How does that work? So... The Basuki Telim, chapter 104 verse 24, says Marabuma mm-hmm. says, "How amazing are your works, God." every Asita. Everything that you created was created with so much wisdom, so amazing. In fact, if you travel anywhere in the world, and uh, you should be constantly saying this this, this verse in your mouth, ma masach Hashem. look how beautiful this tree is, look how beautiful this cliff is, look how beautiful, whatever it is, there's so many things that you go and you see, in the, just like a tree, there's so many concepts that you go and be like, wow, ma masach Hashem. everything is so amazing, but if you can't even begin to appreciate it, but yet you come and say that everything comes from randomness, then you're lacking in so much. Now I know, This is where we're going, reverting a little bit back to the divinity series, but I'm going to bring you different things that we didn't speak about back then. There's so many things in the world that makes absolutely no sense that it came by random. The moon. The moon is something that is so fundamental to earth as a creation that when we go and we look at it, we don't realize how vital it is for our own existence. And in fact, there is uh, the, the tides, right? You guys are familiar with the tides in the ocean? The two-thirds, so the the reason why we have tides, so one-third of the reason is the sun, two-thirds of the reason is the moon. Based off the gravitational pull from the moon creates the tides. Based off the gravitational from the sun also creates the tides. There's obviously, you know, there's a stretching. I don't want to get into the whole, you know, after this. Something very interesting, very fascinating. But the the basic idea is that the reason why we have tides, one of the reasons we have tides is the moon. In fact, two-thirds of the reason that we have the, the tides is the moon. Now, tides are very important. One of the reasons that it's important is that it helps stabilize the climate of planet Earth. Now, if the moon would not be there, then the hottest and the coldest places on planet Earth will reach either extremely, extremely hot or extremely, extremely cold that you wouldn't be able to go and live there. So the it, it affects the climate. Furthermore, that if the moon will either be a little bit too close, a little bit too further away, if things would not be in exactly the right proportions that they are, if let's say the moon would be a little bit too close, then you would have one huge tidal wave, a tsunami that goes and destroys the whole the entire planet Earth. So the moon had to be in exactly the place that it is right now. Furthermore, reason number three, the Earth rotates on its axis 23.5 degrees. Science, scientists claim, and they say, that if it would change by a variation of 1 to 2 degrees, that could bring an ice age. Alright? Forget about global, roam, you know, warming. Thank you. Um, that's, that's a whole not, that's, you're talking about an ice age where everything, you know what they say if the moon wouldn't be here? If the moon, if the moon wouldn't be here, the earth's rotation could vary from either 10 degrees to 45 degrees. Not one or two, it's 23.5. One or two brings out, you know what 45 degree change will make for the earth's, you know, for the living environment? It, would, it wouldn't be able to, to exist. Yet, how do the atheists go and claim that the moon came into existence? there was once a planet that came crashing into planet Earth and it pulverized and the planet Earth broke off and then there was a bunch of debris that was flying through the, through space and eventually it, come together, it combined together to form the moon and that's how we have the moon and oh, because we have the moon that's all. do you, you understand how far-fetched that is? how far-fetched that even exists besides the fact that we have to have Jupiter also because if Jupiter wouldn't be existing near us then we'll have so many things more collide come into, into planet Earth the way that it works is that the larger the mass, the greater the gravitational pull. Uh, this is a your mama joke, so that comes into play a little bit over here, right? So you have the greater, the the greater the mass, the greater the gra- gravitational pull. So when you have something so great as Jupiter, that means that Jupiter is huge. So every time there is an asteroid or something that's coming to planet Earth, Jupiter sort of is like, I got this, you know, like, why don't you come visit, you know, Jupiter? And it's like, you know, it's like sucks in like a fat kid likes cake, and you know, just like vacuums in, and it goes right inside over there. So you go over here, Jupiter saves so much. Er, the moon, say, you know, is needed so much over here. You know something very interesting that with the, the, um, the two main ingredients in the, in the atmosphere is... Anybody know what this is? Oxygen is one. Huh? Nitrogen. Very good. Nitrogen and oxygen. It's 21% oxygen, 79% oxygen, uh, nitrogen. So the concept here is that it has to be exactly 21% oxygen, 79% oxy- uh, Nitrogen. If it, if, if, let's say it would flip, if let's say it would be one third, um, uh, nitrogen, or one third, uh, ni- uh, One third oxygen, two thirds nitrogen. No, the opposite. If it's gonna, if you're gonna reverse that, then it's N2O, which is nitric oxide. Anybody know what nitric oxide is? Anyone want to be a dentist? (laughs) Laughing guys, very good. Um, It's gonna become into laughing guys. So everybody would laugh to death, basically. What would happen if things would be reversed? So everything has to be exactly the same. But you know what's something also very fascinating? Human beings, we breathe in oxygen, we breathe out carbon dioxide. So our oxygen levels are constantly changing. But yet, you have the plants that breathe in carbon dioxide and take out oxygen. So all of a sudden, God created this like, and by the way, that's not enough. There's 80% of the oxygen comes from actually the algae. So there's so many factors that come into place that for us to be able to exist. So for somebody to come and say, oh yeah, this all happened by chance, is somebody that needs mental help. Someone that needs severe mental help. Are you kidding me? Like how is it even possible? It makes absolutely no sense. When you look at, you know, we started speaking about rain. You look at rain. The entire planet Earth, so roughly 75% of planet Earth is water, 25% is, um, it's actually 29% is dry land. Now, the proportion of land to rain has to be exact. If let's say it would be half, let's say it would be 50% Earth, 50%, uh, you know, uh, water, then the amount of rain that would fall into planet Earth will be, again, you know, you're cutting that also significantly, and the majority of Earth would be a vast desert. So there has to be exactly proportion in order to irrigate, in order to make rain, for the entire world, there has to be X amount percentage of water, and then so you're talking about, what is it, uh, what do we say, uh, uh, 71%, uh, 60, where are we going, 71% and, and 29%, right? That makes sense, yeah. So, everything has to be so exact. Now, there's something very interesting, when you look at the way that rain works, something fascinating, when you look at rain, how is it that God created, there's, there's so much water, and there's there's 29% land. Now, how are you going to get the water to the land? The water needs to get to the land. Now, there's a few problems in here. Number one, transportation. How are you going to transport the water to the land? Number two, there's a problem. It's it's heavy. Water is very water is heavier than atmosphere. So, how are you going to get this to here? Furthermore, you have water it has something that it's salt. It's salty. If you put salt water on plants, it's going to kill it. If you put salt water on trees, it's going to kill it. So you have to take the water, extract the salt from it, bring it into the... Cl- There's something so meticulous that has to go on over here. So when God did this, something so fascinating, every time that you see rain, from now on, you're going to be, wow, marabou masech how amazing is rain? You're going to dance in the rain, then the white people in labs will come, but until then, you're going to be happy. You're going to go over there, and you're going to realize something so fascinating. What? what you look at the concept of rain. So God created a vast ocean. Now this ocean, there is, you know, there's a sun. And when the sun hits the water, so it heats it up. And then there is an evaporation, the, the water is the most, it expands when you, uh, it's actually one of the most, uh, uh if not the most, uh, material that expands the most. And water goes and expands 1600 times the volume that it was originally. Expands tremendously. Now once it expands, this water is 900 times lighter I mean, sorry, this vapor is 900 times lighter than it was water. It expands and becomes lighter. Are you with me so far? The science, science now is like, oh, why did I come in today? Uh, now that you expanded it so much, 900 times lighter than water, it becomes an eighth lighter than the atmosphere. So what happens now, is now that the the sun is heating up the water, now that the sun is heating up the water, it expands. Because it expands, it becomes lighter. Because it becomes lighter, it becomes lighter than the atmosphere, and it starts floating up. It starts going up. Now once it starts floating up, it hits the level of the atmosphere, where it's sort of starting to come together, known as something that's known as clouds. But the problem is, these clouds are directly above the ocean. If the clouds would just, you know, if everything would condense, and everything would raise up, and it would stay right above the ocean, and it would rain back down the ocean, it wouldn't really give us much benefit. So God created wind. Then the wind comes and pushes the clouds away from the ocean. And it pushes it to land. Now what happens when the land, let's say, passes, for example, a mountain area? So the mountain area becomes, very, the, the air there becomes very cold. So the 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 water that was initially became heated and expanded, now all of a sudden it becomes colder. What happens when it becomes colder? It starts condensing itself. When it starts condensing itself, it starts getting heavier. When it starts getting heavier, it starts going down like rain. That's why it's something very interesting. In a place that is surrounded by mountains, it rains more. Anybody here been ever been to Manchester? Never see the sun. Right? Never see the sun over there. It rains all the time. Um, So it was probably why people... Whatever. No. Okay. The... You know the idea here is over here is that God works so sophisticated, it's so amazing how rain works. It's so amazing. And what happens? Salt doesn't evaporate, doesn't become condensed. Salt stays. So the only thing that go, go gets gets evaporated is actually the water. So God takes it, separates the water, the good from the bad, boils the water if we could call it, brings it up to the you know to the to the air, pushes it over to the ground, and then gives you fresh tasting beautiful water. Now next time you see the rain, you're not going to be rain, rain go away. Be like, oh, this is amazing. Smarabu maasek hashem, so amazing. The when you look at one final aspect of this before we move on, the um, when you when you look at the, the people that uh, believe in the Big Bang, regardless, we're not going to get into. We spoke about it before. The numbers, the mathematical numbers in the Big Bang had to be so exa- everything had to be so precise to the to the T that if it was missing off by a little minute, and I'll tell you how how minute, then the whole thing would cease to exist. Now. How many would be missing off if it would be missing off by one in a quintillion? It's a large number. Nobody here in planet earth has that amount of sense. Okay, whatever. Okay, I'm not going to explain that one. Um, the, 18 zeros. That's 18 zeros. Um, that, that's a crazy, how much, I'll tell you how big that number is. If let's say you go and um, you walked in sand, let's say you walked past by a beach and you get a little sand inside, first of all, no one can explain this scientifically, we don't understand how it is, that you walk a little bit the second that you pour your shoe out of the sand, there's, um, there's, it's like enough to make a sandbox. You don't know how you actually fit your shoe there. It just keeps it's like magic. It just keeps on pouring out. It just keeps it's like a clown car, right? It just keeps on coming out. And you go over there. Imagine you go and you walk in the beach and you come out of there with a, you know, s- shoe full of sand and you pour it out and you have all that sand over there. A uh, little, let's say two handfuls or a handful of sand. Would you be able to go and count that? You'll have to go with a microscope, take with the little thing and start counting. Imagine how much sand is in a handful of sand. You can't even begin to count it. You want to know how big the number is? A quintillion one followed by 18 zeros? All the sand on planet Earth, that's roughly one followed by 18 zeros. That's how big this number is. That's how big this number is. So if... You know what the Big Bang had to be so exact? according to science. It's according to science. You know how exact it had to be? That if you take all the grains of sand on planet Earth and you just removed one grain of sand... The Big Bang could not have happened. Mathematically, according to the Big Bang, you know, theorists. So it had to be so exact, so precise, so, so accurate, that if it was off by just such a small number, it would see, it would never exist. It would never happen. And you think that that all came by random? That there's no God? Like, so when you go and you look at science, You could look at science and be like, well yeah, you know, professor with the bow tie told me that, and I I have to believe it. Is it? Or maybe you start thinking for yourself, and you start thinking, and be like, it doesn't make any sense. These numbers are not random. It's impossible for it to be random. This is what we say in Modim. When we pray, we say, we we give thanks to to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Al Nisecha Shebechol Yom Imanu, the miracles that you do every single day to us. The question is, what miracles happen every single day? And the answer is, that's goes and explains, that nature is a miracle. We just don't see it as a miracle because we're used to it. Imagine, you have a guy sitting in the cemetery. Uh, Let's make him Israeli, right? He's eating galinin, right? He's eating, what are those things called? Sunflower seeds, right? Right? Great thing to bring on dates, right? He goes and he starts spitting out his guts, you know, to make sure he gets everything out. And then he puts another one inside and he starts spitting. And he's sitting over there. And he's, you know, smoking a cigarette, eating galleonine, drinking a beer, or, multitasking, right? Uh, men. So suddenly, he's sitting in the cemetery doing his thing, and then suddenly um, he sees like the ground starts to like move by one of the graves, and he's like, wah wah wee, wah wah, you know, eh, you know. And he goes and he starts coming closer, and he sees like there's a hand that's coming out of the grave. So the first thing that he does is, is like. <gasps> <laughs> and he's like, oh, you know, like what's going on? You know, and he's sitting over there. And then, slowly, slowly, somebody comes out of the grave. Comes out of the grave, he has like a, think of it as like a really large towel, right? Wraps himself up to it, tightens. it, then he does like this, takes off the dirt, does one of these like cracks. Oh, like, oh it's been so long. So, what's today's date? And then he just like walks off. <laughs> what is this Israeli guy eating going to do? Really he's probably going to think about what type of shrooms are this or like what have I just done? Like what did I just... He's like, what? Was he going to be like, oh yeah, there's another one. Like no, are you kidding me? That's a miracle. Is that going to be like, he's going to come home that day. He's going to be like, so how was your day? Yeah, it was all right. Like, do nothing out of the ordinary happen? Well, I happen to see a guy come out of a grave, but I'm saying, like, nothing crazy or anything. Like Of course you would be like, are you kidding me? Like, I just saw somebody come out of the grave. I just saw somebody who was dead for who knows how long just come out. You're going to come and you'll be like, this is some crazy miracle. Yet, we go, and we see this on a daily basis. You take a seed, and you plant it into the ground. What happens to that seed? It rots, it decays. And then from that seed, plants, all of a sudden comes a tree comes a beautiful, who knows what, whatever it is that you planted. There's so many things that come after, so we see it in a constant basis, if you look at it, we see resurrection all the time, but yet we don't be like, what? This seed was dead! Now it's an orange tree? That's crazy! Yeah, what did you think about that? You know, like, those are the generally the people that are speaking, thinking about this. But the majority of the people are not even thinking about it. They're like, oh, of course, this is what happens. Why do you think this is what happens? Because you're used to it. Why are you used to it? Because that's how you grew up. As a child, you grew up knowing that this is what happens. If you go and you fly in a plane now, you'd be like, okay. But imagine somebody was, you know, frozen in a, go- a scientific government lab and it, 300 years ago, and he comes out and he sees this flying eagle, you know, and be like, be like okay, why don't you go on this and it's going to take you to, like, Israel. I'd be like, are you kidding me? I'm not going on that thing. That's death. That's magic. Who knows what that is? I'm not going to go with that. Yet this person sees something as miraculous. This person sees it as normal. You want to know why? Because we look at it through our eyes as a child. We take for granted what we have. We don't think about what, we, what we're what we missing. And we look at, at the world the way that we looked at it when we were a child. So, the concept over here is, is that the G'maan us hakol b'de every single thing is in the hand of heaven. Everything is in the hand of heaven. And the G'maan chulin, page 7b, also goes and says... A person doesn't even stub your, you don't stub your toe unless it was decreed above. Everybody, I don't know if there's a person ever existed on planet earth that didn't stub the toe. I think it's probably close to childbirth pain, right? It's like roughly the same, like you stub your little toe. No, it's it's just like not that close. Okay, whatever. So, um, like like a paper cut for sure, right? Um, I, those are things that are very problematic in people's, you know, uh, you know, third, you know, was a first world country problems, right? So you you come over, you stub your toe, you know, you're praising God, oh, you know, thank you God for all this love and devotion they have here. You think, okay, you know why this happened? Cause this thing is sticking out too much. That's why. Who built this table with this... Sti- Why is the legs right? The legs should be in the middle. Why is it outside? And you start... I, that you're going to be this. We're never going to Aki again. We're never going to go this. It's all their fault. And then you're blaming everything else. You don't get your tiniest toe stub unless it was decreed from up above. That's how you're supposed to live your life. You're supposed to live your life realizing and knowing that everything comes from God says the Meshechachma, that says that the, our, one of our tasks in this world is to recognize that everything is from God. Sometimes we can recognize it, sometimes we can't. The, there's, uh, there's the, the Arachim Kirov organization in Al One time there was a, there was a crazy story by Parkov, I believe this brings us down, that there was once a secular family that decided they're going to go to this seminar. It's like, let's say a shabbaton, a long shabbaton. We have a lot of speakers that they go and they, you know, start speaking, how, proving God, proving how why why Judaism is correct, why Judaism is beneficial for you, all the amazing things that that are extremely beneficial for for regular people, but even more so people that are secular that grew up without knowing these things. So there's a certain secular family that had a daughter and a son. And they went, all went on the Shabbaton. And the daughter and the parents are involved. They're listening to the... To, they get so inspired that they decide they're going to start changing their life. But their son wasn't interested. He was listening to his music the whole Shabbat. He wasn't really interested in anything of here. Didn't really take anything up on it. Slowly, slowly, the parents and the sister are becoming more and more religious. This kid is not doing anything. Finally, the parents go and they, they decide to, they tell this kid, listen. he says, there's another week-long seminar that's coming up. Go to it. Because I'm not interested in this stuff. I don't care. I mean, you do you stuff. Let me do me. Like, you know, like, so the parents says, listen, we'll make you a deal. We know you want to go. You want to do a crazy Europe trip. You want to go to, apparently, you know, they, they, they had money. Hashem, and they said, listen, you want to go to Cyprus. You want to go to Italy. You want to do all these things. I'll tell you what. Go on this week-long trip. After you go on this week-long Shabbaton, then we'll pay for your trip to Europe on us. So he says, really, for real? They said, yeah, Just go. And he's fine. He goes with his friend. They go on this week-long Shabbat, a week-long <laughs> trip in a him, uh, seminar in El Tisrael. And uh, I believe it was in the Kibbutz uh, Hafez Chaim. And they go over there for an entire week. And people are getting inspired. At the end of the week-long, you know, it was Motzai Shabbat, the end of the week-long uh, seminar... They made like this symposium where people came up and be like, I'm so inspired, now I'm going to keep Shabbat, now I'm going to do this, now I'm going to put a kippah, now I'm going to wear a sheitel. now I'm going to not wear a sheitel. whatever, it depends on the level, right person, right? Everybody's going to go to the levels that they are. they're going to go and they're taking things up on it. Now, this person who was doing this for this vacation, his, he brought his friend, his friend's like, so, new, no, what are you going to go and what are you going to say? They're like, nah, not interested in all this stuff. All this stuff doesn't bother me. His entire, he was there the entire week physically, but, you know, in his mind, he was already planning what he's going to do in Cyprus, what he's going to be doing in Rome, who he's going to visit, what parties he's going to go into. He wasn't interested in all this stuff. And the, his friend says, listen, you were here for a week, you don't have nothing? He says, listen, I, this is not, doesn't speak to me. But the guy said, listen, you want me to take something about myself? I'll tell you what, I'll give you a deal. I'll make you a deal. He says, My, his parents lived in Yorkshire, very far from where they are. It was coming close to midnight already. He says, if my parents come here tonight, very shortly, I'll be fully religious. I need a miracle to be close to God. He says, you want, you show me, this gets proven to me, then I'll, this is what I'll do. So the guy says, okay, whatever, it's a lost cause. Uh, a short while later, all of a sudden, his mother and father walk in. <laughs> it was 2 a.m., they walk into this hotel. This guy is like, what? He's like, what? this is before cell phones. He's like, what? He's like, what? How is it? Like it wasn't like his friend was like texted, be like, hey, by the way, you know, come like ASAP. uh, This is going to make your son religious. You know, like they didn't know that. It's just suddenly like his parents show up two a.m. in the morning, and the the kid gets so overwhelmed and he he starts crying, and he runs over, hugs his parents. Then he runs over to the microphone. He takes a kippah, puts it on his on his head, and he puts in the microphone. This will never leave my head again. That's what he goes and he says. And he goes and he starts explaining. This is what I said. And look, my parents are just here right now. The father goes over to him afterwards, and he says, you only know half the story. He says, what do you think we're doing here at midnight? We're not here to pick you up. So he says, yeah, why are you here? And the he says, you know, the father goes and says, you know, I was sleeping, and I had a dream. An old man came over to me, and he told me in the dream, he says, what are you doing over here in Yerushalayim? You have to go to the kibbutz over there. Your son needs you. And I woke up, and I was like, what? And I was like, wait a minute. So my wife was up, you know, I spoke to your mother, and it's like, I told her the dream, and um, and your, your, you know, your mother was like, he's you not know, like, wow, that, you know, maybe it means something. And I was like, eh, dreams, ah, dreams, it means nothing, though, no, I wanna go back to sleep. I said, like, no, maybe, we-. and he's like, nah, it means nothing, and I fall back asleep. I fall back asleep, I, I had the same dream again. And the old man comes up to me, he's like, why are you still sleeping? I just told you, go to the kibbutz over there, your son is waiting for you. And I wake up, and I tell your mother, I'm like, I got that dream twice. The mother says, that's it, we're going to the kibbutz. And he says, no, I want to go to sleep. So guess what happens? So they're in the car. Um, and Because, uh, you know, whatever. When a woman says, wait, okay. he um, They get into the car. The husband puts in the key, and the car doesn't start. He says, you see, I told you. We don't need to go. I need to go to sleep. And she says, by hook or by crook. We're getting to that kibbutz. I believe in this dream stuff. And if this happened twice, we're going there. If the car doesn't start, I'm hailing a cab. So he starts. It doesn't work. And they hail a cab. They hail a cab. They pay a crazy amount of money to travel midnight. They don't know why. They travel from midnight um, from Yerushalayim to this kibbutz by cab, And they get over there and all of a sudden they realize that their son made a deal and everything how it plugs in together. So that's something where like God is basically looking at you and be like, hey, I can't be any more clear than where I am right now. Like, either you're going to listen to me or it's not going to happen. Like, it can't be as clear. But the truth is that this happens in our lives on a daily basis. It might not be as clear as your parents just walking in at midnight. It might be a little problematic and might need some therapy if that does happen in certain scenarios. But generally, even if it doesn't happen so clear cut, it happens every single day. If we would stop for a second and think... With the eyes of a child and the eyes of an adult, we'll suddenly start seeing God in all aspects of our life. And not only will we see God in all aspects of our life, we'll also start seeing God in every aspect of what we're looking at. We're going to see a tree and be like, that's amazing, that came from a rotten seed. You're going to go and you're going to start seeing traffic and be like, that's amazing, or whatever it is, uh, depending on your level. So... You go when you start seeing so so many beautiful things you start going on all day you're going to be like mabbu masa Hashem. this going to be your new mantra you're going to start putting this as your next thing that you put out in your you know jacket or your wall it'll be mabbu masa Hashem. how amazing is all your creation god kulam bi you did everything with so much wisdom so beauty when we start looking at that you're not going to be able to even think for a second that god doesn't exist you're not going to it's like there's no way there's no way this is going to happen there's a pasuk in Chapter 4, verse 35. And it says, You have been shown, that God is the God, people should know this following part of this pasuk, Ain od mil vado. That's how the pasuk ends. That this we started to see how some things are starting to wrap around itself. Right? The, there's nothing else other than God. What is that? How, how does the Pasuk start? Atta'aret alad, you have been shown. Each and every single one of us has been shown. Everything that the world was that was created by God screams out as the Pasukatilim, chapter 104, verse 24 says. Everything screams out. Atareta, you've seen everything. You see Ma Rabouma Sah Hashem. You see all this stuff. Nevertheless, even through all of this, HaGadosh Baruch wanted us to meet him. In Devarim, chapter 5, verse 4. Panim, bepanim, diber Hashem yimachem. God spoke to you face to face. On HaSinai, God spoke to each and every individual Jew face to face. Now, once you see something face to face, it requires no further proof. You believe it without a doubt then you start saying, well, it happened so so long ago. It happened so many years ago. Why well, I didn't see God. My ancestors, you know, people are going through the different, uh, you know, um, excuses that they bring out. The basic idea of this is very, very simple. Do you believe in George Washington? Not that he's a power or anything, but do you believe that there was a person, George Washington? Yes. Do you believe in Napoleon? Yes. Do you, be- you believe in the majority of things that are historic facts? Why? Because they're historic facts. Now, what makes them historic facts? People witness it and wrote it down. Maybe it wrote some pictures about it. People witnessed this entire concept and they put it down. The same thing as just you yeah, have historic fact as Napoleon and George Washington and anything else that you're into in history, the same concept also is that God came and have Sinai in front of three million Jewish people and gave them the Torah. And you think three, you know how long ago this was? This is roughly about eighty generations ago. That's not that sounds like a long time. Eighty generations ago, so your father, your grandfather, you and so on and so forth, eighty times. You know, how far off is that already? It's not so bad. The, the Egyptian pyramids are, are, are older than that. So you have over here something, that God came to each and every single one of our ancestors, and technically our souls as well. He each came to us. So, you have seen this. It's instinctive within us. Inside each and every single one of us, it is known that, we, that there is a God. Even the Christians and the Muslims, who tend to have a problem with Jewish, you know, the religion itself, they don't deny the fact that God Gave the Torah to the Jewish people, like everybody knows that this is what happened. Everybody knows this is what this is what went on. Yet, you know, they disagree with whatever things that happened afterwards. But the count of the self is still very, very valid. It's very valid that we witnessed God. Not only that we see God day to day, but we witness God. Panim panim, God spoke to us face to face. The problem over here is that you still come and you still ask this question, but what's going on nowadays? Look at it. People are not believing. People are having problems believing. People are asking questions. What is going on over here? One of the answers is the answer of Amalek. This is where we're coming to. the holiday of Purim, you know, Amalek. We have to go and eradicate the, the, the remembrance of Amalek. What was Amalek? Amalek, the, when the Jewish nation went and, and were fighting against Amalek, we know that when Moshe's hands were up they were winning. When Mashan's hands were down, they were losing. Now it wasn't this lucky charm. What it means is when his hands were up, the Jewish people were looking upwards, meaning that they realized that everything comes from God. When they realized that everything comes from God, they were winning. When they went when the hands were down, they weren't thinking about this and they were losing. What is the whole concept of this is basically emuna. Emuna. You're looking God, everything's from God, you win. You don't, you're losing. Why is this the 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 war with Amalek, so correlated to Emunah. And the answer is, what is Amalek? Amalek is known as, everything is Mikra, everything is by happenstance. It came upon you, according to, you know, on the road. Amalek is a concept that everything is random, there's no higher power. Amalek is atheism. Amalek is a concept that there's no such thing as a divine power, there's no such thing as everything is directed from up above. Amalek is pure randomness, chance, and luck. That's what Amalek represents. The The... Concept that we have to eradicate Amalek is we have to eradicate this within each and every single one of us. We have each and every single one of these doubts that we have. We have these doubts. Okay, well, maybe it was brand. Maybe well, this is what science says. How do I know? Like, w- there's so many doubts that come up in each person's mind. This is the concept that we have to go and eradicate Amalek. We don't know who Amalek is. What? Well, who is Amalek? You know, we don't know who Amalek is. Inside every single, inside each and every single one of us, the concept of the doubt, the suspect that's each and every, that's that's inside. When we go and we eradicate this Amalek, when we go and we remove this data, and we start seeing the world in the eyes of a child and the eyes of an adult, all of a sudden we start seeing God. When we start seeing God, that is step one for emunah. You want to have build a strong emunah. The stronger that you believe and know, stronger that you know God, the stronger that your emunah is. So you want to know what you need to work on. Step one believing and knowing that there is a God. And how are you going to do that? You're going to look at the world. You're going to look at everything. You're going to look at the Jewish history. You're going to keep on doing everything that we spoke about. The more, the stronger it is that you're going to be. People want to live a happy life. People are like, how am I supposed to do it? This is step one. Know God. This is why I couldn't even begin to speak about it when I before proving God. You have to prove God. Because otherwise it's not talking about it. Then we have to speak about... The 13 Principles of Faith. So what is God? How do we understand God? How do we correlate to God? What is God? Is God is not a body? There's so many things that we have to know. This is going to, we're going to see how it's going to come into step two. There's so many different aspects that, that everything here plugs in so beautifully. But the basic foundation of Emunah is knowing that there is a God. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.